Hello and welcome to Remember Charity's latest podcast. Absolutely delighted to have such a fantastic lineup today with some brilliant, brilliant speakers, really huge amount of experience in the in the virtual room. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Rob, I'm the director of uh, Remember Charity uh, and we have almost 200 charity members right across the UK and really important that, um, that we're delighted actually that we're able to really focus in on some of the specific challenges facing Scotland because I think that um, Scotland for a long time has you know has really de developed in terms of you know it's kind of focus around um, legacies in particular and I think it's also I know it's got a huge huge amount of potential so um, in the light of you know the the, um, the challenges that, that the whole sector faces we thought it'd be a great opportunity to speak to some very experienced people today and to find out that how they have been managing and some of their tips and advice around how to uh, manage and return to fundraising during the pandemic. So I'm joined today um, by Robin, Ian, Gordon and Simon, who are each going to introduce themselves. Um, Robin, would you like to go first? I'm Robin Frail. I'm Head of Fundraising and Communications at Epilepsy Scotland. Hi Robin, hi. Uh, we'll have to get better at the pauses, won't we? As, uh... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, we're still learning on this one. Okay, Gordon, go next. Hi, Gordon Mickey. I'm Head of Fundraising at Poppy Scotland and I've been with the organisation for four years. Welcome Gordon, thank you. Ian? Hi, I'm Ian McAndrew. I'm the Director of Fundraising and Communications at uh, Children's Hospices across Scotland, better known as CHAS. And a bit like Gordon, actually, I've been at CHAS uh, just a couple of weeks under four years. Welcome, Ian, welcome. And last but not least, uh, welcome to Simon. Thanks, Rob. Uh, yeah, so I'm Simon Turner, a fundraising consultant. I run my own consultancy. I've been doing that for about 10 years and I've got a long... Uh, track record in fundraising going back to the early days with um, Ken Burnett at Burnett Associates and I've been involved with Remember a Charity. I've helped to set it up and was its first director for the first year and a half of its operation. Simon, all, all the success that you're, we report now at Remember a Charity, um, I take it you'll be claiming all full credit for this, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, anyway, welcome, welcome, thank you. Um, so, um, straight into the questions then, I'd be really interested to hear what you think were your charity's biggest, biggest challenges going into lockdown, and secondly, how did you respond to these? Perhaps Gordon, would you like to go first? I think the biggest challenge for us was uncertainty. We just didn't know what was ahead of us. Very quickly, we had to ensure that we were looking after our staff and giving them answers to what the next few weeks and months would look like. Because if we ensured that we were able to work with our staff, that would ensure that we were able to continue the level of service to our beneficiaries. Uh, we just didn't know what the impact would be. I think for the first few weeks, there was maybe a sense of disbelief or maybe a sense of, well, it's, it's just like an extended holiday. But as we got four, five, six weeks in, uh, we've begun to see 
reality hitting. Uh, we were there's a term that this new new world, new working way, and I think we were relatively lucky that as fundraisers we we travel on the hoof quite a bit, and we 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 had our laptops and we were ready to to move around. But I think some of our colleagues on the welfare side that they they were more office based, they were on high street welfare centres, and I think it was a bigger challenge for for the service delivery people uh, to to get into a place whereby they can impact change on people's lives, the people that needed the support. Uh, but. As the months have uh, rolled on, uh, we've got into a really good working pattern using the technology. We've just been talking, we're on Zoom today, but we've MS Teams, Skype, mobile phones. And so at least we can have that a bit of a face-to-face conversation with those that we need to speak, both staff, volunteers, and the important people that we support. Yeah, thanks, Gordon. And what, what, was, um, what was the... You know, you're right. I mean, the, the, your your comment about it, the first few weeks felt like a holiday. It certainly did with the with the weather. We had lovely weather, and I think the kids thought, "Great, I don't have to go to school." But actually, I think soon the reality hit, didn't it? And um, what was the response from your supporters then as a result of that? I'm I'm not sure that if we were fortunate. The the type of organisation we are, we we mix remembrance and commemoration along with our fundraising. And this year has been a very particular special year with the commemorations of the ending of the Great War. So we had V-Day, we've got VJ Day coming up. So we had a lot of uh, plans around how we will celebrate this as a nation. Uh, We had huge investment from our volunteers, huge investment from the public. Uh, But within four or five weeks, we had to take all those public outdoor events and transfer them onto a digital environment. Uh, we managed that. We have had some hugely successful engagement. One of our engagements, we commemorated Scotland's forgotten Dunkirk, uh, the heroes of St. Valerie. And I think there was 165 million online engagements with us. Uh, it was just phenomenal, the, the, the stats that we were seeing. Uh, we, we partner with Legion Scotland to provide the remembrance uh, commemoration part of our work. And the, the VE Day programme that we put on consisted of learning to the schools. We, we put a digital learning programme together and we had things happening every day. The, the engagement that we had from the young people was fantastic. As you touched on, Rob, they were all at home. They weren't in school and parents were looking at ways to, to help homeschool. So by us being able to put that online, that then helped us from a fundraising perspective because we were able to show that we've adapted and we've changed our ways of working and we were supporting that wider community and potentially a community that didn't really or naturally engage with us out with poppy appeal time. Yeah, and that's really interesting actually, isn't it? About And we, and we should return back to that later, Gordon, about the opportunities, about connecting with, with, people, with people outside of the... The, and connecting with people in new ways, different ways, and the opportunities that brings. Um, Robin, before we we uh, we started the podcast, you were you were sort of suggesting that maybe there was you you, you saw some similar challenges. Yeah, definitely. So I think for us at Apexy Scotland, the first main challenge was getting everyone equipped to work from home. But like like Gordon Poppy Scotland, that uncertainty around how long is this lasting? Is it worth the investment? That kind of thing made it quite difficult to know how to take things forward. So for our service side, um, they quickly worked to make things deliverable on online. So some, most of our 
services are face to face, but we have been able to adapt to it using things like Zoom. And we've actually benefited a lot of people that had been put off coming to maybe group wellbeing sessions and things have taken up this opportunity because it seems a bit it's a bit safer for them staying in their own home and taking part in that. So in terms of services, we've we've actually it's kind of thriving and it's like is open up to new audiences. Um, but for fundraising, yeah, it's been really challenging. So the same week we went into lockdown should have been our biggest community fundraising event of the year. So every year on the 26th of March, we have Purple Day. Um, and obviously that wasn't able to go ahead. It's usually offices, schools and different groups who would support that. So that impacted that event and a huge amount of income for us. Um, about a quarter of our fundraised income comes from challenges and events. And with most of them then being cancelled quite quickly, that's had um, an impact. But the response of our supporters been fantastic. Um, we've tried everything that, that we could think of with online appeals, which is well received, online events with bingo and quizzes and things. But even seeing our supporters being themselves being quite creative and adapting to, to the situation. So for example, we have one, one supporter who has raised £100 every single week since and continues to do so through a, a raffle that she's running with friends and family. So we're seeing, we've seen lots of people doing different things, but actually sticking to it as well. So I know we've all got a bit of Zoom fatigue or online online quiz fatigue, but some people are really sticking with it, which has been great for us. That's amazing. And, and, and um, you know, you were saying about a quarter of your income is from those challenging events. And what dreadful timing, the 26th of March. I know. <laughs> Typical, but we've tried to to turn it around and offer different opportunities for those for those people. So, for example, the two point six challenge, I'm sure everyone took advantage of. But we had some people that had planned things. For example, Bali for babies had purple days activities planned, so we were able to offer them different alternatives. Um, and most of them have made the most of that, which has been great. And Robin, do you think that you've been able to reach new audiences as, as a result of that? I think so. I think, again, like a lot of people are maybe put off doing things like the kilt walk or dog jog just for their own, for whatever reason, or for geography. Um, but having all the virtual opportunities and being able to do things in your own time and dates that suit you, that kind of thing has been really good. With um, the dog jog being cancelled, we launched our own five for six challenge. We only had a couple of people sign up, but they've both between them raised over £2,000, which... I don't think they hadn't registered for the dog jog. <laughs> so giving yeah. people these different opportunities has really opened it, um, opened things up for us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and Ian, presumably you must have faced some, some significant challenges um, going into, into lockdown. We did, and I, and I guess we probably faced maybe sort of three broad sort of, you know, challenges. And I think our, our first was in terms of continuing to deliver sort of services and support sort of children and families uh, across sort of Scotland. Now, many of, of those families were um, being asked to shield uh, and many were choosing uh, to shield and sort of self sort of isolate. And with sort of social distancing, you know, the services that we would generally provide, you know, from our, our two hospices, Rachel and sort of Robin House, needed to radically sort of, you know, change uh, in terms of reduction of capacity. So we very, very sort of quickly, you know, moved towards our hospices supporting sort of end of life 
and emergency sort of care and looking to see how our community-based sort of teams could continue to support sort of, you know, families. And um, what we actually sort of did in that period was actually sort of launch um, a virtual children's hospice. So taking all the services that we would generally provide in hospice into a virtual setting, whether that be virtual visits from clown doctors, um, advice from our pharmacists, doctors or nurses or um, benefits advice from some from our family support team. We just looked at how we could continue to support sort of families across Scotland during sort of a, you know a really difficult sort of time, and that you know from you know getting sort of that established and, and and launched within sort of a couple of weeks of, of going into to lockdown. We would also turn on our attention to going well. How is how is our fundraising going to be? Sort of affected similar to, to, to Robin and, and Gordon, you know, significant part of our income, you know, is, is based on community challenge, challenge events and, and corporate engagement, all sort of things that physical distance, distancing was going to make really sort of challenging for sort of the period. So we were looking at how we could move some of those events to an online um, environment and we've did that very successfully with with a number of of events but we've also sort of been thinking very closely about how we work and in lockstep with our supporters understand that actually it's a lot of the fundraising it's not that they can't and don't want to support us it's they are unable to support us as a result of sort of the pandemic and, and the lockdown so understanding that recognizing that communicating with our supporters almost from day one how Chaz is responding as an organisation to continue to support children and families, how their support is enabling us to do that, how vital that support sort of is on an ongoing sort of basis. And, you know, the third and equally important sort of challenge for us was how do we adapt um, and move to working from home? And uh, we had brilliant support from our IT and corporate services colleagues to sort of be within, you know, a matter of days, all equipped to work, you know, from from home, and sort of keep that business continuity sort of piece sort of going. So, those were us three broad sort of challenges in the immediate sort of onset of, of the pandemic. How do we continue services? How do we keep our fundraising going? And how do we keep our people and volunteers safe? Yeah, thank you. Uh, great summary. Um, uh, thank you, Ian. And uh, and what we certainly noticed with at Remember Charity is that we also had to learn new skills ourselves you know in terms of creating new ways of enge engaging the the charity sector and and everyone having to to find new ways of doing their existing job and finding learning new skills and new ways of doing it so everyone was it wasn't just the organization that was having to adapt it was that every individual and our individual skill sets as well which is definitely a challenge but i think by and large from all the conversations of the people I've spoken to, I think it certainly seems that people have really stepped up to this challenge in, in perhaps a, in, in a significantly positive way. And and, and speaking about the, the positivity, um, you know, there has been a lot of debate within the sector about how, I mean, we've talked about different areas of fundraising and rightly so. Uh, we talked a lot about kind of challenge events and reaching and stewarding and reaching people and communicating in different ways. But I guess certainly we're thinking about from Remember Charities perspective and that need to grow the market and to be loud about legacies. I guess that legacy fundraising probably had a unique set of circumstances in terms of the demographic that we were 
targeting it and also the sensitivity given the number of deaths the excess deaths have you got any have you got any kind of insight and reflections about perhaps how you have done it individually or or you've um, seen about examples of how charities have done this well in terms of returning to legacy fundraising and what your views and how is you know the opportunities to do this going forward perhaps gordon if i could turn to you first i think it's such a sensitive area anyway when you're discussing uh, people's lifetime gifts and wills and for us at poppy scotland I arrived four years ago, and one of the first things I reviewed, what was our legacy income? What does it look like? And I was very surprised to see how little it was. I was thinking an organisation that has the nation's symbol of remembrance, remembrance being the ultimate legacy, being the ultimate symbol of remembrance. I thought we would have been much more successful. And we went on a process of doing some research, research with our donors, research with the public, working with our uh, creative agency. Uh, and we were just about to launch in March, April of this year, our new legacy campaign. We, we developed a, a lovely set of digital films that would have went online. There was a, a new legacy park, an inquirer's park, support for will writing, the, the, the whole gamut of it. But I just felt that I couldn't make this big launch at the time, particularly when in the early days of the lockdown, we were listening to the Prime Minister and the First Minister reeling off the, these really tragic numbers of deaths across the community. And I just felt slightly uncomfortable about doing it. So we discussed it internally and we all felt the same that it just wasn't the right time, albeit it's important because legacy income is so important to so many organisations. And as we go towards a, a more cashless society, as an organisation who relies very heavily on a cash appeal, being the iconic Scottish poppy appeal, we, we need to diversify. And one of the areas that we felt important to ensure that we, we've got a new income stream was from legacy giving. Uh, we've decided that we will soft launch uh, around poppy appeal and the assets that we've developed and created and the, the, the fantastic stories about our supporters who have decided to give uh, surrounding the, the, the stories of those that we've supported, we, we will put out online October, November. And then when we get into 21, hopefully we'll be uh, far away from the, the challenges we're facing today and we'll be able to look at how we do a, a more formal launch of our legacy uh, campaign. One of the, the, the answers we I got from why we don't have so many legacies is that we, we were seen as this national period of remembrance. It was just about November. And when we looked at our communities and the people that we supported, there, there was conflicting uh, demands. A regimental association was possibly where their legacy was going, or the, the, the core uh, Royal Air Force Association. I served in the Royal Air Force, so prior to working with Poppy Scotland, maybe my, my thought of where my legacy gift would go would be Rafa. Uh, so we, we had these com competitors in, in our own marketplace who on a welfare side, we work hand in glove with. But as fundraisers, we're always competing for uh, the donor's pound. And I, I just felt with the, the, the whole family, everyone's family has been touched and impacted on this, some more so than others. It was just the wrong time for us as a remembrance-based organisation to go out and make this ask. 
that wasn't the same with our direct mail and we felt that we had to fight through it and we, we continued and we didn't pull the campaigns that we had planned around our donor base and those have been really really successful during the lockdown which bodes well for future communications about legacy uh, in 21. Uh, 21 is also our 100th anniversary so it may be uh, with hindsight 21 is the, the ideal time to to launch a legacy campaign yeah indeed i think um and, and gordon thanks for your honesty on that i think it's um, a couple of observations i think that you know it's interesting when i speak to other organizations so for example macmillan um you know again that an organization who also has acute amount of you know, sensitivities to deal with it was interesting that they kept front of mind they but they reframed their their messaging if you like so that they and, and what they what they found was that they had a huge demand for people wanting to write their will and yeah. think about a charitable gift and we saw some for some for many organizations that had a a legacy program that was up and running that we saw that they they had um, a huge amount of inquiries but they were able to not do it in a kind of proactive way in a sensitive way and I think that's always the balance and I think that um, you know there is huge huge opportunity in, uh, in around legacies in Scotland and you rightly mentioned a minute ago about the, the competing market and and the comp you know the competition for share market share and I think really that's obviously where market growth comes into it about being able to really share experiences and be loud about legacy. So I'm really delighted that you will be kind of going into the next year, returning back to legacies. Yeah, my, my, my gut feeling is, and having spoken to, to many supporters, if we were in a position to provide the will writing service, the, the, the advice we had our legacy parts ready, I, I think people would have been interested because it was so much more open. People were talking about people passing away every day and that just never happens. But we had the leaders of the country talking about death on a daily basis and that's tragic. And you just have to look at the situation where people weren't allowed to go and say their goodbyes to their loved ones as well. And there's some really, really sad stories about people just not being able to go and say that final goodbye. And to me, that, that was just then the wrong th time to be asking, well, can you leave us something? That's yeah. the right thing to do. No, I think that's right. I think it was more of a brand-led being, being front of mind. But I think what we certainly, what we certainly, and it's interesting actually, because we spoke, to, when we spoke to our members and asked them, you know, I think it was April, May time, do you want to go ahead with Remember Charity Week in September? And the overwhelming majority said yes, they wanted to, because they felt that it was important to return to it, but, but sensitively, appropriately. Yeah. And I think, you know, had Remember Charity Week been in March, April, I think we obviously we wouldn't have gone ahead. And I think we are kind of adjusting to, you know, the kind of long-term changes. The new normal. The new normal. I was avoiding, <laughs> I was avoiding that phrase, Gordon. <laughs> uh, but indeed, no, that's, that is absolutely fascinating. And, and um, perhaps, um, Simon, I could turn to you next, actually. I mean, because obviously 
you know, Gordon then talked about kind of looking ahead to 2021 and thinking about kind of that balance of the that diversity of income streams and getting that balance right. <laughs> what do you think will be the impact from the pandemic on the kind of the medium to long term uh, future of fundraising in Scotland? Um, well, I mean, it's been very interesting to hear about those experiences. Um, I think uh, I agree with Gordon's approach, this notion of uh, reactive legacy marketing versus proactive. And the coronavirus is maybe not the time to be especially proactive to go out with a big campaign, but being ready to handle uh, responses is, uh, is just sensible. I think to your question, Rob, about the future, um, it's kind of hard to know. Um, I think there, there's so much change coming up um, so on the one hand for fundraising, uh, a great asset for fundraising is having need. And a lot of charities are going to be uh, going through that period of being able to explain their need very clearly and quite graphically. Um, some charities may not exist in the medium to long term. Some people will be losing their jobs. They won't have as much disposable income. Um, there's going to be changes to the nature of fundraising. So uh, I suppose, as we've kind of touched on, retail and um, events in particular uh, are going to be impacted by, by this. On the other hand, uh, appealing to individuals for cash through appeals seems to be, um, of all the charities I've had contact with, that seems to be going well. So I suppose um, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to crystal ball gaze. Um, all you can do is take an educated guess, keep an eye on things and continue talking to each other to see what, what experiences are coming up. Yeah, indeed. And as I say to other charities, unless you're saying, unless your organisation is saying you're not going to support those beneficiaries and not exist in the future, the only, the only answer is to continue to fundraise. And it's interesting how many organisations have, you know, understandably had to completely stop a lot of their activities. But at some point, we really have to go forward and, and be proactive. Yeah, that's, I mean, I agree with that. And if anything, for legacies, I mean, coronavirus has sort of just exaggerated all the normal questions about when is it right to have the death conversation, not that that's what it is. Um, but then, you know, if you look at the figures, you know, there's a few interesting stats out there. Like uh, back in March, the Law Society uh, said there was a 30% increase on uh, usual requests to create wills. Or Fairwill said uh, 12 times more NHS workers using their online services. Or in June, Rojar did a... Uh, uh, reported on a, a study and it said it asked specifically asked the question do you think it's right to legacy fundraise during the pandemic and 42 percent of responders said it was strongly appro uh, appropriate 13 percent said it was strongly inappropriate so I, I understand the interest in being sensitive but as Gordon said it's it's front of mind at the moment it's being raised um, so it's a, a, an opportunity to, to work with. Yeah, no, that well said, Simon. And actually, I know um, in the first few weeks of the pandemic, um, we saw at Remember Charity the number of people who are actively visiting 
our website to search and write a will doubled. And it's already one of the highest areas of our website anyway. And it just showed the appetite there as, as because obviously we know that for many people, they don't have a uh, will in place or they, they perhaps reviewed their priorities. Um, it's a great question. I'd just like to kind of throw that out to, to everyone else about kind of what you think about the impact on fundraising in the, in the medium to longer term would be in Scotland. Um, if anyone else uh, would like to come forward on that as further reflections. So I think Robert, it is a really interesting sort of question that, that you pose because there is so much uncertainty. So, you know, out, out there, we, we literally are in, I think, uncharted waters when it sort of comes to think about sort of, you know, fundraising we have experienced and, and weathered, you know, recession, you know, of, of the past. This is, I think, sort of, you know, different because of the both, the way that sort of perhaps the, the impact of, of the pandemic has had in the way that we sort of live and, and, and work and, and the health sort of outcomes. But I think there is a sort of economic sort of impact that perhaps hasn't been sort of fully understood and, and fully sort of realised sort of, you know, yet. You know, however, you know, I sort of feel really sort of strongly, you know, from talking to our supporters and, and talking to peers across the sector, you know, that the supporters are still looking to give, they want to give, um, they intend to give, they perhaps unable to run the events that they'd like to do at the moment, but they certainly intend to come back to them sort of in, in the future. So my sort of underlying sort of belief in the spirit of people that sort of give and support their favourite causes will sort of continue. However, I think in possibly the medium to, to longer term, we might see, and certainly I think will experience as sort of reduced Sort of income, and I think we we'll really have to think about some of those changes that perhaps as a sector we were sort of walking sort of slowly towards in terms of cashless giving, digital events, digital sort of communications. That feels to me has really been accelerated sort of overnight. And how do we adapt and evolve and scale and support our teams to to adapt to a potentially a a very different way of, of, of working and how that sort of plays through over the, sort of the coming years. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think we need to, to really think about as a, as a sector as to how we continue to adapt to the evolving sort of situation and, you know, ensure that our supporters continue to get a brilliant experience and we present the right suite of products, propositions through the right channels that sort of continue to inspire people to support their favourite causes. Yeah. I, I think I'd, I'd add to that, Rob and Ian, I think that there's been a renewed sense of community spirit. We, yeah, we've seen the, the clap for carers on the Thursday evening at eight o'clock and streets have been coming out and and joining in together. Uh, I live in a cul-de-sac and it was a typical uh, cul-de-sac. You never spoke to your neighbours unless it was summer and you were out in the front garden sort of thing, but the rest of the year you never saw them. Uh, Scotland, it rains all the time type of stuff but the, the neighbours all know each other now they, it's really good but I think that that's the we've now also got a, a, a fantastic new competitor in the marketplace the NHS charities and there's that huge upswell of support for them which is good 
Uh, but it's not someone that we worried about as charities a year ago. Uh, so th th they will be uh, competing for that same pound with our donors as well. But I think that refresh, that new sense of community will benefit us for everyone in that marketplace. And that, that can only bode well for us. And just touching on the digital stuff, Poppy Appeal this year, we're going to have an NFC code on every box of poppies so people can give using their mobile phone. It's not quite cashless, but it's in the right direction. And we probably were not going to look at that for another year, two years. And I think we've, we've had to uh, short circuit a lot of our planning uh, and bring it right up to date, which I think in the longer term will be of benefit to us. Yeah, I, I really love that phrase about short-circuiting. I definitely think, you know, there are certain areas that have been uh, really accelerated. And what people can't see from listening to this is the lots of nods, people nodding. Uh, and I think um, it's certainly been a, a common experience, I think, for, for charities. They've always been resourceful, haven't they? And they've had to be. So I think that perhaps that's drawn the best out of us in a way as a sector. Um, Robin, um, would love to, to hear, I mean, you know, thinking about sort of short circuiting and about, and about accelerating some of those plans. What do you think for people listening to this, what do you think the kind of the risk, but more mainly the opportunities, I think, around how we can accelerate some of that, that work? I think the main opportunity really is that it's forced charities to kind of take stock, reevaluate what they're doing and how they can do things differently, which is how maybe Gordon at Poppy Scotland has reacted so quickly and brought plans forward. Um, embracing the virtual opportunities that there are as well. Um, although I do think that there will come a point where people are get, get a bit bored with doing these things virtually. Um, but as fundraisers, we always adapt and we always come up with new different things. And I think our supporters as well do that, do the same. And uh, that's one of the things I've been surprised about. Um, we had forecast about a 50% reduction in income by the end of September than we had planned. And at the moment, we're only about 10% behind our original forecast because I think people um, people do adapt and, and they change. And that's not always just down, that's not always down to the fundraisers and charities. That can be your supporters as well. So I think the opportunities that they are, are for like discussing with other charities, but listening to your supporters and hearing what, what they want and and what works for them. Um, I think that's that's kind of the main opportunity for us and that's what we are doing just now. We're taking some time to communicate with our supporters, but in a two-way two -way communication and hearing what, what's working for them just now and what they want to see more of. Yeah, no, thank you, Robin. And, and I'm just turning to Simon. I mean, Simon, you know, through your work, I mean, you presumably talk to lots of different organisations. Is there anything you've kind of tips and of, of opportunities that you think that, that might be there for perhaps smaller organisations who are listening to this? I think, uh, I mean, just, yeah, I suppose um, for me, the, the, the big risk is actually when you put your head in the sand and pretend it's not happening or pretend nothing's going on or pretend it will just pass and this notion of life going back to normal. Um, I think that's the big risk, not going out and not talking to supporters and not finding out what's of interest to them. So that's kind of risk side for for any size of charity. I think the opportunity is more that uh, through the recent months, I think people have had the chance to think about what's important to them, uh, to appreciate certain things, to understand causes or areas 
that they really care about and to understand that those, those organizations or those causes need funding. So I think the big opportunity is actually the chance to connect with more people and engage them in, in the work that's going on. I think um, people now more than ever perhaps um, are thinking about the things that are truly important to them and realizing that that's not the responsibility of government or of someone else, but that there's a, it's possible to have a direct connection, make a direct dif difference and get a direct benefit. So um, I think that's one of the positives and a potential opportunity to, to explore more. Yeah, thank you. Well said. We need to bottle this positivity, don't we? And just share it around. I think I'm just lots of smiling faces. I love to see that. And I, I love that positivity. Um, I'm aware of time. So perhaps for those, um, for Ian, Robin or Gordon, uh, some final comments or thoughts about, you know, for those people who are listening to this and perhaps struggling, they're seeing their staff, their fellow colleagues being furloughed, pressures on budgets, a, a real pressure to perform and get that money in. What's the kind of the one top tip that you would give perhaps to be able to champion fundraising or perhaps to, to showcase new ways of working? That's a tough question as the last one. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, it is a very difficult sort of time. And so certainly what, my team have, have experienced is is that sort of duality of those that are still working and working flat out um, to sort of, you know keep activity going and and keep income coming in. And then we have some staff that have been followed and equally they have found it sort of equally sort of, you know tough as as, as well. And we've been sort of very mindful of, of, of that and, and equally we've we've seen in lots of announcements in the sector about sort of, a, sort of job cuts and, and reduction. So it's a very sort of difficult sort of, you know, time. However, I sort of think from a fundraising perspective, it is about communicate, communicate, communicate and demonstrate to, you know, the public um, and to internal audiences that uh, the, the need and the urgency of the service or the work that all organizations are doing hasn't changed for some it's actually sort of you know amplified um, and the public remain um, and I think they've shown this through the pandemic committed to supporting organizations that they, they care about so I think it is about doubling down keeping focused on communicating the need and the urgency of our organizations and inspiring supporters to continue to give. And that's a real focus that we've put on over the last three, three, four months. You know, our communications team have been on fire. You know, we've had news articles in, in Australia and Brazil, which are slightly outside sort of uh, our, our remit as Scotland's national sort of uh, children's hospice service. But I think testimony to the reach and the impact that we've, we've got, you know, and our fundraising continues. We have an appeal that's launched Sort of you know this week um and i think that's where charities need to continue to focus stop fundraising your income's definitely going to go down maintain it focus on the areas that the channels allow us to work operate in, in at the moment um and i think you know we will get through this we'll get through it together with our supporters walking walking alongside inside us uh brilliantly put um wonderful um 
Rob, thank you, Ian. Um, Robin, Gordon, um, final last comments, thoughts, reflections? Um, Robin? Yeah, just to echo what Ian was saying, just I think this has taught us all that communication is, is key, but also listening to to what your supporters, what they want, what they need. Um, we're all very good at forecasting and planning activities, but this has taught us that we need to be more reactive than ever, I think. So being able to react to opportunities like the 2.6 challenge, for example, that everyone took up. Um, so just being in that position, which can be difficult with some staff on furlough and things, but um, being reactive and, and listening to and listening to your supporters. Yeah, absolutely. Listening and doubling down on communication, absolutely. Uh, and Gordon, any final thoughts? I just think we, we continue to be brave as fundraisers and what we do, challenge the norm, remember who we're supporting and remember the challenges that they face on a daily basis and say thank you. Continue to say thank you to everyone who digs deep in challenging times to allow us to support our beneficiaries. So communication is central to it all. Let's keep on talking, let's keep on thanking and let's keep on asking. Yeah, well said. Well, well finished there, Gordon. Thank you. Well, um, I've sat through that this this podcast and, and I've had a big smile on my face because I love it to hear such positivity, particularly in what's been a really tough year for everyone. And we're only halfway through. <laughs> but um absolutely terrific. Hopefully everyone who's um who's managed to listen to this has really got something out there in terms of the importance of communication, the importance of remaining visible the importance of communicating and listening to our supporters and the importance of, of really getting out there to fundraise and thinking about the opportunities as well as the challenges. And I think, you know, as you were saying earlier, Robin, about that being able to accelerate some of those areas and be able to shortcut some of that planning. I really love that because we are going to have to be resourceful um, going forward about how we make uh, do more with less. Um, so thank you for your time today. Um, I think you'll definitely want to return to this because I think there are some really incredible opportunities for fundraising in Scotland and we'd love to return um, back to this and have a further discussion. So thanks again for your time um, and carry on communicating and uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.